Um, so today we start a new series, and it is my opportunity to, uh, to be able to kick this off. And I'm really excited. Um, we're going to do three simple things today. Uh, we will uh, look at a parable, and we'll have a small economics lesson, and we'll have a small art lesson. And I'm not qualified to do two of those things at all, um, but we're still going to look at it because it has major implications for who we are as people and ultimately who we're becoming as a church. And so uh, I've titled this talk uh, ROI in the KOG. This is a return on investment in the kingdom of God. And so um, for some of us in this room today, whether you're here in person or watching online, uh, you've been in this community, part of Pine Lake Covenant Church, for a really long time. And you've maybe even seen this building be built. Maybe you stood across this field and saw an empty field, and now today you arrive to church and you see this building being built. Or uh, 20 years ago, you got to witness uh, the building of uh, our second building being built, the gym. Or you've got to see God's faithfulness play out in so many ways, in relationships, and life shared. And for some of us, many of us in this room, you're newer or new to this community within the last 12 to 18 months. And, um, and so uh, you have begun to, to realize that, yeah, this is a place where I call home. These are my people that I want to journey with and live alongside. And, and so um, for that first group, maybe you get, uh, you still have like PTSD when you hear the words capital campaign, right? Like anytime we start talking about money, like please, no more. And, and for some of us, we're like, you know what? That was one of the most rich times of my life when I had to trust God. And so whatever you bring to this space this morning, uh, particularly as it uh, postures us to talk about generosity, uh, I want to invite you to come with fresh ears to hear a parable that Jesus speaks to show us, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it means to live generously. And so to frame this entire series uh, and to frame our approach to a life of generosity, uh, we want to begin with a text this morning from uh, Matthew chapter 25, a parable of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles uh, or on your phone or with you, um, would you open to Matthew chapter 25, uh, beginning at verse 14. We're going to read that together this morning. It says, For it, it, it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. One he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the ways that you have called us each here today, that you've given us ears to hear and eyes to see the ways in which you are at work. Lord, would you open our hearts this morning? Would you open our minds to the ways in which you want to do a thing in each one of our lives and through our community? Lord, may the words be spoken today be your words. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, this week has been fun for me as I've been preparing for this, um, and I've been thinking about the ways in which uh, generosity is something that 
uh, as a church, as a community, we have been steeped in and built upon. Uh, I think about uh, 20 years ago how a uh, relationship with Kodera Kenya and a man named Christopher has blossomed into Pine Lake Academy and this gift that it is for us to be able to invest deeply in the lives of students, elementary school and middle school students in Kenya, because of a few faithful yeses 20 years ago that have unfolded into this incredible partnership that we continue to do today. Uh, I think about the ways in which uh, I was talking to somebody who um, was at the Fall Fest yesterday, and uh, they said, I remember when this building was built, right? And there was really um, no really good gym space on the plateau, let alone for us as a church to gather. And, And still 20 years later, we were meeting in this spot, being able to open up a place for our community to come and to just share life. And eat way too much candy. Anybody else feeling that this morning? Yeah. Um, I think about the ways in which uh, during COVID we had to pivot big time. And we have so many people in our community that uh, have a lot of gifts that I don't have or that our pastoral team doesn't have in tech. That we're able to, uh, to stream and to shift our services online so that we can still be connected and worship together. I think about so many, many of you in this room, many of you listening online who have exercised your gifts of finance and stewardship uh, to be able to plan ahead and discern how God might be calling us to extend generosity in previous seasons of life. And for that, I am very grateful. Um, I think about uh, this one particularly as I was holding uh, a two-year-old that wasn't mine in mops a couple weeks ago, how so many people have gone before me in holding two-year-olds in mops or daycare or childcare to allow parents a little time to be able to connect and to be with other Christians to be poured into. And for that, I am grateful. And and so it's so obvious that this church, whether you've been here for a really long time or you're just becoming a part of who we are and who God is calling us to be, that generosity is deeply steeped into who we are as people. And I think that's something to celebrate. I think that's something to say thank you. I think that's something to be really honest and say, God has shown up in ways that we could never dreamed of. And he has been faithful because of generosity. And so this parable this morning is one that incorporates an economic illustration to highlight a truth about God, more specifically, the kingdom of God. And so our parable is one where there's four characters, right? There's an owner and there's four different um, slaves or servants. It's this word doulos, right? It's literally just someone who is tasked to carry out something for someone else. And uh, the cool thing about this is um, the property is Um, uh, the property manager is headed out on a journey, right? And so he departs and gives responsibility to these three servants. Did you catch the the first person? uh, Did you see how many talents they were given? Four, right? Uh, Oh, excuse me. Better read the text closer. Five. Thank you. We got some people that that are awake this morning. The first person was given five talents, right? Second, two. And then the third person, one. Right? And so um, maybe this word talent, uh, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. Uh, I know you're familiar with, with Bitcoin. Um, talent was actually a first century uh, cryptocurrency. I don't know if you knew that, but um, no, just kidding. I can't take credit for that joke. That was one that came this morning um, from our uh, walkthrough. Uh, it's not a cryptocurrency. It's actually a weight of measure. So talent isn't even uh, a form of money or a form of currency. It was a weight. So, so uh, consider that as we're hearing this. It was a weight 
of measure. And um, one talent, get this, equal to about 20 years of wages. So, so just one talent that was given out was 20 years of wages. So the mathematicians in the room, okay, five talents were given. How many years? Chris, you're in a lot more advanced math than me. 100 years, right? 100 years wages was given out, right? So it's just mass amounts of money that was handed out to uh, these servants. So um, first, the first person takes five and turns it into ten, right? And, and the response was, well done, good and faithful servant. The second turns two into four. And again, the owner affirms him, well done, good and faithful servant. But the third, out of fear, what does he do? Instead of going to invest it, take it to market, whatever, what does he do? Digs a hole, right? You can, you can picture this. Out of fear, digs a hole, buries it, and says, I'm going to protect this with my life because I know when my master comes back, he'll want that accounted for. And, and maybe you've caught this before, um, but there's, a, there's something that the, the master does at the very end. So picking back up at verse 28, uh, it says this. The master says, So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you, but uh, I, uh, I don't like hearing language like that at the end because that's pretty harsh language in a way that God is approaching the situation. And, and ultimately, when I see uh, language like this, um, I see that there's, there's huge weight, right? There's huge reward given for those that go and invest, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. But there's also huge implications for the one that goes and buries out of fear. So this parable is simply just this first century illustration of an economic principle. Anybody ever take economics? Maybe in like, I don't know, junior year of high school or something. And so uh, there's this really basic principle that really is, is going on here, right? It's called um, uh, return on investment, right? And so this is a really simple concept, right? Return on investment uh, is where you have your current value of an investment and you subtract the cost, that, what you originally paid, and then you divide it by the cost of investment. Anybody familiar with this, right? Um, yes. So... Uh, most of the time, we exercise that in a lot of what we do. Whether you are in finance and economics and this is your world, you know exactly what you're doing. But whether you're just like shopping at a grocery store or whether you're just making simple exchanges throughout the day, we practice this all the time with or without knowing it, right? And so um, in current times, it would be like if I was trading my Halloween candy, right? And I was like, ah, I really need to double my candy. I need f uh, 10 pieces of candy. I have these five. Like, what am I going to be able to do? Who can I trade with? in order to double my candy allotment. And so I have even more cavities and my parents will be really excited, right? So like what, what is it that these investors are doing in order to illustrate what Jesus is talking about in the kingdom of God? The return on investment in this parable or this candy example is, is really simple. Um, and however, uh, what I do know here is that there's a clear pathway for return on investment in economics, right? I invest something, and then in turn, I get something back. As an investor, like, that's what you are to do, right? Or you're, you're keeping your mind on where can I maximize my investment? How can I get the most of what 
I'm putting in. And so I think Jesus is doing a few things in this parable. First, he's not saying that we have to be a master of economics in order to understand the kingdom of God, right? That's not why this parable is told. And yet, he's saying it's really important for you to pay attention to this word investing. And it's really important that you be someone who's very familiar with investing because the kingdom of God is driven by investing. Throughout this series, we are going to consider the ways that generosity is best understood through the lens of investing. And so I want, uh, I want us to think about this as uh, something that really sets vision for us as we go into these next several weeks talking about investing. It's simply this, that our capacity for generosity reflects our depth of discipleship. Our capacity for following Jesus, our capacity for generosity, reflects our depth of discipleship. And so, just a really easy question, uh, rhetorical. How do you know that you're a generous person, right? So maybe some of us come, uh, we jump to things in our minds really easily. Maybe some of us have to think about it for a little bit. But there's a really easy litmus test that the church has always kind of practiced to see, okay, how do I determine if I'm a generous person? Right? We look at, very simply, where we spend or invest our time, where we spend or invest our talent, and where we spend and invest our money. It's a really easy way, right? Look at your bank account, look at your calendar, and look at the relationships or the people that you surround yourself with, and that really easily begins to show what matters to us. And ultimately, how we spend our lives, how we spend our money, the things that we invest in. And so this morning, I just want to focus on this word, investing. And so here's a few simple questions for us as, again, we're uh, approaching this parable to think about what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God through investing. Here's a few questions. First, um, what can we learn about the kingdom of God through this parable, particularly with the lens, with the eyes of investing? And... uh, Very simply, it's this. God's plan A for the world is the church, and really he has no plan B, right? This is maybe something that you've heard before where God's hope and purpose for bringing heaven here to earth after Jesus has left is through the Holy Spirit, the church is empowered to be the hands and feet of Jesus. If that's not good news, I don't know what is, for each one of us, that we get to be participants in what God has done and initiated through Jesus, carried out through the work of the Holy Spirit each, in each one of us. And so really, these tenants, these three people in the story, just, just represent you and I, right? It's, it's really this picture of the church representing you and I. And so when I think about... Um, this, the vehicles for investing, right? And so um, maybe you, you're really familiar with this and um, maybe you're, you're younger and you've maybe heard your parents talk about it or something, but usually the, the vehicles for investing would be like a retirement fund, right? Like a 401k or a Roth or like another product that, again, increases our return on investment, right? 
that in an economic standpoint or in a financial standpoint, that like that's how we invest, right? We use these platforms in order for what we put in to then return something back to us that's more than what we first brought into it, right? And so the question for us in this context, not only in this parable, but, but as a church, as a church who has its eye on the kingdom economy, what is the platform for investing in the kingdom of God? I think it's really simple. Acts of love. The way in which we respond to God's greatest, two greatest commandments in our lives is simply how we invest. The first, to love God, and the second, to love our neighbor. That is the vehicle in which we invest. That is how we invest as humans, as Christians. Simply living out this call to love God and to love our neighbor. So what, uh, what do we learn about uh, our role in the kingdom of God if that is our call? Um, I love this quote by a theologian named Scott McKnight. Um, it says this. He says, uh, How we live reveals the gospel we responded to and the gospel we believe. I'll say that again because it's not on the screen. How we live reveals the gospel we responded to and the gospel in which we believe. It's really this charge and this picture of the ways in which we carry ourselves after we've said yes to the gospel, after we've invited Christ into our lives, after we've said yes to Jesus, the way that we then spend the rest of our lives reflects back on just how deep and just how real that encounter with Jesus was. And to me, that gives us so much opportunity in seeing that, that this life that we live isn't just uh, uh, this holding pattern to go to heaven or um, saying yes to Jesus wasn't just this ticket so that we can just cash it in at the end of eternity or at the end of this time. But it gives us reason for exactly why we're here now. And so, what, uh, and so how might we participate in this kingdom? And so I want to offer a few, uh, few pictures of what it might mean for us, again, as we approach these next several weeks, thinking about generosity in the context of uh, investing. Um, someone who is investing in the kingdom of God lives from a posture of abundance and not scarcity. Someone who is investing in the kingdom of God seeks opportunities to invest in the kingdom and not just the economy. They're not governed by fear, like the one who went and buried, but they live life with a non-anxious presence, grounded in the peace and hope that God will provide. And so how might we, as Christians, whether whether you've been in this community forever or whether you're just beginning to see who God is calling Pine Lake Covenant to be, how might we respond in faith? And so, um, so there's there's something that I think 
oftentimes, right, if you're investing, um, you're always constantly weighing risk, right? Particularly economic risk, right? And so risk is like if there's other competitors on the market, um, if there's new rules that govern our uh, our society or our investing, um, if there's uh, rising interest, or right, if like you, you have a donut shop and um, the risk of opening up a donut shop is that donut machine might break down someday, right? Like there's constantly risk that we're assessing in our lives, and, and yet, how do we assess the risk of following Jesus? I think what uh, Jesus often calls it is simply faith, right? Faith is a risk to put your faith in Jesus, to put your faith in anything else. It takes risk, right? Because it takes uh, you out of the driver's seat or you out of control and allowing God to be the one that is in control. Maybe you're familiar with the story of, uh, of the woman who puts two copper coins in, um, in the offering bucket. And uh, it comes from Mark 12, Mark uh, chapter 12, beginning at verse 41. And I want to read it because I think it's a, a beautiful picture of the ways in which Jesus calls us to not be holding back. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd uh, putting their money into the temple treasury, right? So it's like this very visual um, example of people bringing their treasure forward. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So this morning, church, as we think about um, what it means to be generous, um, I think the invitation that comes not only from this picture of giving up all, but more, even more importantly in that, uh, in, in that story, surrendering all we have to Jesus. And really what it is, is we're striving to be just like that first uh, investor, that first servant, who was given five and then in in turn turned it to ten. We're striving to be these ten-talent people that comprises a ten-talent church that desires to see the kingdom expand simply because of us saying yes to the ways that Jesus wants to do that. So I don't know if you, uh, if you get the emails, but uh, if you do get emails from, from Pine Lake, there was a letter that was sent out um, this last Friday, right? And it's practice that um, anytime, uh, anytime our giving falls under a certain threshold, 90%, uh, that we just become uh, more vocal or transparent about that. Um, and uh, and the, so our giving is down. And it's, uh, it's ironic because uh, we planned this series nine months ago. And, and we, we planned it in a way that we just felt like, you know what? God will continue to do something in the fall. And so we want to be posture, posturing ourselves for generosity. And, and so um, it's ironic that also we receive this update from Adi and Lavi just this last week of, uh, of them and the incredible work that they continue to do in Romania. And the cool thing is, is that uh, we had a conversation as a, as a team, as a pastoral team this week, right? Of like, okay, well, our giving's down. Like, should we even be giving or offering this opportunity for our church to give to Romania, to the Ukrainian refugees, if like our own 
giving is down? Like, what if people give there and don't give to the church, right? And, and it, we, we sat there and we we're just like, man, isn't this, this the perfect example of the ways that God desires to work in our lives, right? Oftentimes our posture is we got to take care of ourselves first and make sure that I have mine and then maybe we can give generously to somewhere else. And you know what? As a, as a church, Austin made the decision. He was like, you know what? That's not our posture. Our posture is to say we want to live generously and respond in ways that the Spirit is moving, whether it be here in their tithes at Pine Lake Covenant Church, but also opportunities to continue to bless our missionary partnerships to continue to give to people that literally don't have food unless it ends up on their door because all the grocery stores are completely empty. I don't know about you, but, but I want to live with that posture of not being driven by fear, but knowing that God will provide. And so as we close today, um, looking forward to these next few weeks of, of considering what it means to live generously, um, I, want, I want you to do one thing. I want you to think about um, someone in your life that has invested in you throughout your life. And, and maybe it, it could be a, a parent or a coach or a teacher or a mentor, right? For me, um, my parents, uh, probably they changed a lot of diapers. And I'm not realizing that until I'm changing my own kids' diapers, right? Or I have a coach uh, whose name was Mr. Pockner, right, who taught me how to shoot a basketball, right? And uh, I haven't talked to him for a, for a lot of years, but the ways in which he invested in my life deeply shapes me now. Or I have a mentor who would sit across from me after school or before school at 6.30 a.m. and watch me eat an Egg McMuffin while, he, uh, while we read scripture. And I honestly was more interested in the Egg McMuffin at that time than the scripture. But that person had a huge, huge impact on my life, right? And so well, who is that for you? Or who are those people for you? Most of the time, I think mentors or teachers or people that invest in our lives, they come and go, right? They come and go. They're in your life for a season and then they're maybe gone. But here's what I want you to hear this morning as we approach this next few weeks of thinking about generosity. God wants to invest in you. God wants to invest in your life. Not for what he can get out of it, not for what you can do for God. Just like maybe you've been on the other side of mentoring someone else, you do it because you love that person and you aren't looking for anything in return. That is what God wants to do in our lives today. God wants to invest in us because God is so excited about the ways in which Relationship can transform lives. And so may we be those ten talent people who are simply just receiving from God the opportunity to invest. Right? Who are people who are just open to the ways in which Jesus will come and do a work like he did 20 years ago uh, in building that building, or like he continues to do with this partnership with Romanian, Romania through Audi and Lavi. Those are things that, that the church has experienced clearly God's faithfulness in the past. But my question for us now is what might God want to do in these next 20 years? What might God want to do as he invests in you? 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift it is to to be yours. To be known by you, to be loved by you. God, thank you that you desire to invest in us. Before we do anything, before we say anything, beyond any of our abilities or our capabilities, God, that you just want to invest in us because you love us and for no other reason. Lord, search our hearts today. Lord, would you search the ways in which we spend our time and our talent and our treasure. The things that we hold so closely, maybe out of fear, maybe out of passion, maybe out of hope. Lord, may discipleship to you and following you just be an opportunity for us to take inventory in our lives of the things in which we invest. Lord, may we be a church who receives the gift it is to be in relationship with you. And and instead of burying it and hoarding it, just passively holding on to it, that we run and that we invest it simply because of the work that you continue to do in our lives. Jesus, make us more like you today and each day. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.